Well, good morning. My name is Ben, and I'm so glad to see all of you here. A warm welcome to all of you, especially those online, those of you here at St. Paul's, and as Tyler mentioned, a special welcome into this season of Advent. For many of us, this season of Advent is it's a countdown clock. It's a countdown clock to Christmas. Your kids may have Advent calendars. You know, you can buy them at the store, even at Dollarama, filled with milk chocolate or some other treat. One a day, leading from Christmas all the way to Christmas 1 through 25. And if you are climbing down from the shopping frenzy of Black Friday, you might just think that Advent is another clever invention of our consumer buy one, buy all mentality to purchase more gifts, to spoil each other with nice presents for the whole month of December. And I admit that my wife and I, we treated ourselves to something a bit more mature and sophisticated. There's an advent calendar sold by Bon Maman that maybe some of you know about. Bon Maman is this French jam company. So just imagine different preserves and spreads each day leading up to Christmas. It is delicious. But advent is not the invention of a slick madman marketing campaign. It is a significant part of the annual rhythm and cycle of the church because it brings us to the doorstep of Christmas. But really, in the busyness of our lives, whether our school children, university students, or if you're an in-person or work-from-home employee attempting some work-life balance, these four weeks leading up to Christmas are probably the busiest and noisiest of the entire year. So if you're new here, or if this season of Advent is new to you, you are already familiar with what December feels like. So now Advent is just shorthand. Just shorthand for that desperate search for presents, for the frantic back-to-back-to-back preparation for social get-togethers. So why does the church bother to pile this Advent thing on top of all the other things that we have on our Christmas to-do list? First of all, Advent marks the beginning of the church year, and it is traditionally this season, Tyler mentioned, that the church waits and prepares. Where we wait like eager children under the tree on Christmas morning, or if we're older, we prepare for the onslaught of holiday guests. But as Christians, we are waiting specifically. We are waiting for a specific gift. We are preparing for a specific guest. We are waiting and preparing for the arrival and coming of Jesus. That is that Latin origin of Advent, coming, arrival. So if this is all a little bit new, a little bit perplexing, it is a bit strange that the start of the new church year is today, November 27. But it's even more perplexing that our gospel reading, what many churches are sharing on this first week of Advent, the first week of waiting and preparation, we aren't anywhere near the birth of Jesus. Like the rest of Yorkville and Eaton Center, shouldn't the church be preparing, gearing up for Christmas, you know, like getting ready for a birthday party for this baby Jesus? But instead, our scripture reading is from Matthew 24. It's near the end of Jesus' life on earth. And he's talking to his, his followers and his disciples about the end of all history about the time when he will come again 
when he will return. So if you are looking for a Christmas story this today, if you came to church wanting to hear about baby Jesus, about that, I do invite you to join our afternoon service, Advent Lessons and Carols. But this is not that. So why does the church talk about the end of the world at the beginning of the year? Why this scripture now? At St. Paul's, we believe with Christians around the whole world that Jesus will come again, just as he says he will. In our statement of faith, we declare that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And it's based in part in scripture like ours today. Here we hear Jesus speaking about himself in the third person. He refers to the Son of Man, this archetype, this biblical alias used to describe this Jewish Messiah, one who would come to save Israel and to save the world. So with this in mind, Advent becomes more than waiting in preparation for Jesus' birth at Christmas. This season is also waiting and preparation for his second coming. Our reading in Matthew 24 is a reminder that there is more to come. Before his birth, there were all sorts of prophecy. They were foretelling the Messiah, the Savior to come, and the Jews had this great anticipation for his arrival. And for us today, there is also more to come. Jesus will return. And if you're visiting, I know that Christmas is a time to, to come back to church sometimes. If you're visiting and you missed our summer preaching series, Tyler talked about it in our Apostles' Creed. Look up on our YouTube channel, August 7th, where he, Tyler focused on Jesus will come again. So what do we do with this information? Because this is heavy. Jesus is coming again. And if we look at the disciples, they were confused. They were perplexed. It's like they had a broken connection over Zoom. They missed that critical one word. And this didn't make sense to them. So earlier in the chapter, in chapter 24, they asked Jesus, when will this be? What will be the sign? They just needed a bit of clarity. So Jesus warns them. He warns them about war and rumors of war, of lawlessness. So imagine the civil war on pause in Yemen right now. Imagine the Donbass region in Ukraine. And then he warns of famine and earthquakes. And my mind is brought to the earthquake last Monday that killed over 300 people just 100 kilometers from my parents' hometown. But the end is not yet. It's near, but it's not yet. It's like ordering an Uber and the app says, all it says is your, your ride is near. Or you're waiting for a table at a restaurant and the hostess gives you that curt one-word answer. Soon. Thanks, but no thanks for the clarification, Jesus. Give us specifics. We've got busy schedules, especially December. We need more details to put into our calendar. Something more than somewhere near, somewhere soon. We want something more than that. About that day and hour, no one knows. Jesus' answer sounds like a teenager's smart Alec, smart Alec response to, when will you clean your room? Or asking your, your spouse, honey, when will you put the garbage out? God knows when. 
If we add a sarcastic shrug, you know, it could probably be any number of brush-off encounters trying to get someone off your case. But not Jesus. Patient. Patient as he always was, as he always is with his disciples. His legit answer is that only God the Father knows. So many of you are probably asking this question, and I'm going to answer it now. I thought Jesus, Son of God, knows everything God the Father knows. So we'll take a short detour here before moving on. When the divine Son of God, when he was born of human flesh, Jesus chose to limit some of those divine powers. He was powerful to stop wind and wave, but not all-powerful. Knowing, but not all-knowing. And this... This was one thing that Jesus didn't need to know to complete his purpose on earth. The date and hour of his return, they're not critical to his mission, a mission that included death on the cross. So his closest disciples, they didn't need to know the exact time, and neither do we, because it's not critical to us either. That date and time of Jesus' sudden return is one of the secret things of God. There's another one in here in our gospel reading. Another thing that is perplexing, confusing. Who exactly is saved when Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead? And once again, Jesus doesn't give us much here. He mentions Noah. We all know Noah. Noah's ark and the flood. The ones who were swept away in the flood were eating and drinking. Big deal. Jesus ate and drank. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Jesus' first, his first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding. Jesus doesn't mention here about Noah's righteousness, only that Noah was aware. And the others, they knew nothing until the flood. Even those two men and those two women there's nothing to differentiate who was who, why one was left and why the other was taken. So unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, Jesus doesn't tell us. This is hidden. Hidden from the disciples, hidden from us. In the book of Deuteronomy on the screen, you'll see this verse that reads, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. Paradoxically, we should breathe a sigh of relief that these two questions of when and who is a secret to us. God knows when. God knows who. At least I'm relieved because I'm so often perplexed and confused. I don't know everything. And as Socrates says, and any PhD candidate can confirm, the more I know, the more I realize I know nothing. So if you're sitting here with questions about Advent, questions about faith, questions about God, you are in very good company. Jesus' first disciples were almost always perplexed and confused. It's okay to have questions. They did. I do. And some of our questions might actually be those secret things that belong to God. That question of the exact time when Jesus will return, the specific questions of who, these are the questions that God only knows. But Jesus doesn't leave us completely in the dark either. 
Some things we do know. Jesus revealed that he will return. And Jesus also tells us to be ready and waiting. These revealed things, these belong to us and to our children. So instead of trying to second-guess Jesus, trying to uncover the secret thing that no one knows but only the Father, we can devote our energy on what is revealed. With these different examples of Noah, of the two men and the women, the thief and the homeowner, Jesus tells us, be watching and ready. Be waiting and prepared. And this is repeated in the next chapter, in chapter 25. Jesus clearly tells us, be ready and waiting for his second coming. So how are we waiting? Are we waiting for Jesus? Really, are we waiting for Jesus? Or are we distracted by our full calendars, meeting agendas, social gatherings? Maybe it's our kids swimming, piano lessons. Are we focused on the day-to-day activities of eating and drinking, and we're blind to eternal realities? And are we ready? Because waiting is paired with readiness. You've probably seen that cute Oreo commercial on TV. The children are waiting for Santa. They're waiting and they're prepared. They've got cookies and milk. For university students or high school students, I know that exams are sneaking up on us. And one day, one way that I prepared was cramming. The one or two days before. Write the exam in purge everything else, and get ready for the next one. But how can you cram study if you don't know the exam schedule? For those of you that are having dinner guests, maybe the turkey is brined and ready, but when do you put the turkey in the oven if you don't know when your guests are coming? How can we be both ready and waiting? So if you've been around here at St. Paul's for the last month, maybe you're thinking the answer must be rhythm of life. For those that are visiting, you don't cast an inside joke. Our last sermon series, we looked at the five ancient habits that can be life-giving to those of us that follow Jesus. And honestly, those five habits, worship, prayer and study, service, generosity, and faithful living, they actually do help us here. They help us watch. They help us prepare. These five habits are part of what God has revealed to us. These are practices that can help us prepare our hearts. They can help us prepare our lives. Because Jesus is coming today if we are ready and waiting. So yes, the answer this time just happens to be rhythm of life. Jesus is coming as the Christmas infant. And he is coming again, returning in glory to judge the living and the dead. And we can also encounter Jesus today if we are ready and waiting. Jesus will come into our hearts, in our lives, through those things, through worship, through prayer and study, through service and generosity, through faithful living. That's a way that we prepare and we wait. But before I close, and I want to be honest, that it's hard. It's hard to be ready all the time. It's hard to wait for Jesus' unknown return, that unknown sometime soon. Even all this rhythm of life talk sounds a bit more like Jesus is coming, look busy. Because it's impossible to keep those muscles clenched and ready all the time, especially when we are already overloaded and exhausted. 
So Advent calls us into a continuing history of relationship with Christ, who meets us whichever way we turn, whether to the past, the present, or in the future. And we here at St. Paul's, we trust and believe that God, God will use these rhythms of life, these practices to meet you wherever you are. So we aren't pushing for perfect habits, 100% on the rhythm of life. Remember those confused and perplexed disciples? God only knows. God knows the when, and God definitely knows our hearts. So over the next four weeks of Advent, I invite you to consider just one, just one habit from the rhythm of life. Consider stripping away one other practice in your life and replace it with a new habit. So depending on your personality, maybe you tend to look to the past. You love to hear the story of Christmas, of baby Jesus, Emmanuel, God come to show us his love to us. Or maybe, as we heard in the gospel today, you look to the future. You're looking to that secret date that God only knows, to Jesus' arrival as the judge of all when he will make all things right. So wherever you are, and for whatever reason you came today, I hope that you will find comfort and joy in the revealed thing, the knowledge that Jesus is coming. Have a happy Advent.